Good. All right. Weapon systems online. <laughs> Battle systems operational. <laughs> is that from StarCraft? It is Star indeed. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All crews reporting. Can't the Yamato cannon. And just in case there's any Zoomers out there, we're talking about StarCraft 1. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No yeah. graphics for me. They it's just re released that with like HD graphics, but they still maintained the original styles. They didn't make it 3D. They just like made the resolution of the sprites nicer. Dude, I am the biggest sucker. I always buy the remakes of games yeah. I've already finished. You know, Baldur's Gate, Age of Empires. I keep buying the remakes, and I've probably bought them each like four times at this point. Age of Empires you, 2 is one get, of the worst. Did you get though. the StarCraft I one? On... I, I didn't StarCraft. get the StarCraft one. I think I got my fill of that one. <laughs> Power no. defense. I got Age a Final 2. Fantasy remastered. It's the seventh one. Oh, is that good? They completely changed it, though. It's not remastered so much. It's, it's a different game, eh? A new game with the same plot and characters. Yeah, and right. aren't they just like releasing it episodically so you can buy like the first 10 hours, then the next 10 hours or something? Oh, yeah. They know how it's done these days. They know yeah. how to squeeze every last dime out of my ass. Yeah, so they're going to charge you like 80 bucks per per chapter and it'll end up being like, uh, I don't know, five five chapters or something. Instead of expansions, it's part two. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is exactly the opposite if I op the opening would go because Victor has rightly pointed out we should have something of a standardized intro because I assume there's at least a, a couple new people each time. Well, yeah, I always think that if some, if like new people come across our podcast and they just like hear the beginning and then they hear us like ranting about StarCraft and Zoomers, they're just going to be like, <laughs> what is this bullshit? So I feel like we should like to say something to structure it. We need some sort of standardized institution to ground the, the chaos here. We, we, we can't just have like, like nothing. Oh, yeah, like some brand recognition. Like we should all take like a 10 minute marketing course or something like that and try to make our <laughs> brand something recognizable, you know, something like five seconds, you know, like pops those on guys. and, you know, so no one told me life was going to be this way. <laughs> Based on all the references so far, uh, we're millennials. We're <laughs> yeah, also that's, that's... mostly doctors. Arch millennials. Yeah, but not 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 the medical kind, the real kind. No, exactly. <laughs> the original kind. I love mm -hmm. I love that joke. Like, I need CPR. Oh, I've got the critique of pure reason right here. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of doctor I am. Ah! All right, you guys ready to go on this? This is actually part two of an episode. That's true. Part two of PillPod episode three, but this is currently uh, episode 48. Was it really PillPod three that this came up originally in? Yeah. So we, I mean, we always say that we're stuck on a loop. 2021 is the same as 2020. And uh, guess who's back in the news? Giorgio Agamben. The best Italian theorist ever. Except I mean, let's for... get real. How many Italian theorists do any of us really know? Negri, <laughs> a couple. Gramsci, Gramsci, Echo. Okay, Echo, yeah. Antonio Negri, isn't he? He's Bray Dotti, to speak of someone who's still alive or was last time I saw her. Is he still alive? No. No, Christine de Pizan, Dante. <laughs> the Sardo, yeah. Is Pizan Italian? 
Victor Brizzoni, our favorite yeah. game. Yeah. Name the Italians, all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we this episode we're we're gonna call it conspiracy theory versus critical theory uh, because they are kindred spirits, and we have already for a very long time or a very long time ago discussed the relationship of critical theory and conspiracy theory. Uh, they look the same, and we have some theorists that say they're the same. And at least when I say conspiracy theory, I don't really mean it as something that's necessarily false and crazy. It's a theory, good or bad, that there is some conspiracy at play. Now, it might be good or bad theory, but saying something's a conspiracy theory doesn't necessarily imply that it's crank. Well, what's a conspiracy? Breathing together. <laughs> That's a good question, though. Like, how, so what? etymological. I love it. it it's. It, I mean, it's. It, isn't it usually, um, you know, a small group of uh, bad faith actors working in unison to bring about some state of things or some favorable outcome that will benefit themselves and nobody else? That seems like a pretty good definition. And then, yeah, so a secret plan. theory is that that's just going on in the background. Any negative event that's occurring, oh, there's like some cabal of elites trying to bring this about, and we don't want it. Like, anti-vax is probably runs on that shit, right? Oh, we can't do this because it's Bill and Melinda Gates, and the rest of the lizards want us to get these microchips pumped into our arms. It's very silly stuff, obviously, but I mean, well, we gotta face it because it's so fucking prevalent apparently i'm personally of the opinion that anybody who buys into the lizard people conspiracy is actually in on an even deeper conspiracy so that's a key sign for you if they start talking about lizards they're trying to distract you from what's really a going conspiracy on. theory about conspiracy theory we got meta conspiracy theories here going matt nice haircut by the way sorry sorry listeners i'm just noticed that matt has a haircut literally you didn't <laughs> notice this on saturday <laughs> looks you, you you had this haircut on saturday yeah I'm just, you know what it is? I'm used to seeing you like when you come on straight out of the shower and, and, and as, as one of our like, you know, left wing haters described you as uh, the, the, that centrist sheepdog. <laughs> and you don't you don't need, you don't uh, you don't have that look anymore. So you couldn't be accused no. of being that anymore. Gradually, as COVID restrictions have receded, so too has my hair. So he never lets me. He never lets me in the shower, so I just have to watch from afar. Don't worry. One day. So are we doing the standard introduction or are we just gonna talk about doing it? We're not doing it. No, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it and then maybe do it in the future so that people know that our interest is not in sounding standardized nor professional. I wanna go the exact opposite direction and suggest that we need like nine inch nail pulses. Like <laughs> then like some nihilistic drumming that comes in distortion weird guitar and then we dive right into it yeah so that's what i want stuff try to hug your family that sounds cool produce start learn how to produce music now pills in addition <laughs> to all the other stuff that you're doing yeah yeah we're text scholars you're everything else anyway in terms of signification friends <laughs> uh conspiracy theories give the world sort of a sense of coherence um, in that they unite what you see and what you can't see. What, what's visible or what's invisible, uh, it comprises the visible in some way. Even though it's malicious coherence, there might be some comfort in knowing that 
at least someone's in control. Even if they're evil people, at least there's some control out there. Yeah, and I think, well, what's interesting, just looking up the sort of like the word conspiracy, it's like a secret plan. And I guess the idea like where that would come in in some of this kind of theorizing is, I guess, there's a big emphasis by uh, to notice all these like forces going on in the background that like none of us um, are aware of. And to some extent, like, that could be construed as secret because they, I guess the whole point of like bringing them to light through the lens of theory is to show that they have a different signification in the way that they're impacting us. That's like secret and is, and is influencing our behavior. So in that sense, you could see it as conspiratorial. Yeah. I also think there is actually genuinely something comforting in thinking that the people in control are genuinely in control and not as competent uh, as incompetent as they sometimes appear. Like if we had to face the cold, hard reality of the fact that Doug Ford really just is an idiot uh, and that Donald Trump just really was an idiot who had no idea what he was doing. That, to me, would be a lot more terrifying than the notion that they're actually secret geniuses playing 12th or 15th level chess with for those, political left. For those who point. don't know, Doug Ford is the premier of Ontario, the province in Canada, like yeah. the governor. Also all madness and no method, but it is, yeah, it is comforting to think there may be a method. But we do this not just with conspiracy theory, but the the relation I was trying to draw with critical theory there is... We have terms like hegemony or capitalist ideology that sort of fill exactly that hole. Like if we didn't have this secret managerial operation, if we didn't have the media spectacle deceiving everybody, then everyone would get to get along great and we could forge our ideal utopia without the nefarious influence of forces that we can't see. Well, I think there's a big difference though, which is that there are definitely left-wing conspiracy theories out, out there, right? So I think I I'm just saying, Matt, that the structure is almost the same. But, but so I what is the structure? So what the, are we talking about right now? I think the difference is exactly that, that you know, leftists tend to look for structural reasons that exceed human agency or even understanding for why it is that systems of power replicate themselves. Whereas with a lot of the right-wing conspiracy theorists that you see coming out of the woods right now, the idea is that power structures are deliberately created and maintained by some shadowy cabal that keeps on shifting depending upon the time. So there's this deliberate agential quality that you don't find in most left-wing kinds of critical theory. Well, maybe you can answer me this. Don't you think, though, that the way that a lot of... uh, I mean, I hate using the term, but online Marxist people, they kind of blame capitalism and then imply that if we didn't have capitalism then everyone would be a better person? No, 100%. I mean, this is what I'm saying. There are left-wing conspiracy theories out there. Like, I think, let's just use Marxism as an example. A proper Marxist analysis of the dynamics of capitalism and hegemony would say that there can be very nice capitalists uh, who don't even know what they're really doing. Uh, They're just competing with other capitalists in the market, and they reproduce systems of exploitation and hegemony as a result of their action. It's not deliberate, right? this can very quickly be given a more conspiratorial cast, though, if you start saying things like, oh, people are actually all banding together in order to create more exploitative conditions. Uh, and what we need to do is kind of peel back the layers of the undin to figure out which group of capitalists are the ones that are ultimately actually in charge uh, and create this kind of system. Right. And every now and then, like. We've all given into like our capitalist bashing every now and then. Like I was making fun of Bezos a few days ago, right? Uh, you know, the kind of proper Marxist analysis to say it's about structures, not people. Uh, whereas the more conspiratorial bent that I can give into is starting to say that this is a deliberate 
system of oppression created by a group of people who know what they're doing and don't care. Yeah, but then then when you get into conspiracy conspiratorial thinking, right? That's where the parallels between you know critical theory and conspiracy theory start to emerge because it's a kind of this is this the way that Latour describes it. We we did an episode way back on on Bruno Latour, and he he made this exact sort of comparison. Well, he says, well, while conspiracists like to portray a miserable bunch of greedy people with dark intents, I, Latour, find something troublingly similar in the structure of the explanation, in the first movement of disbelief, and then in the wheeling of causal explanations coming out of the deep dark below. There's a sort of causal causal explanatory similarity in that you don't believe the things you're presented with, you, you, you become suspicious of, of where they're from or what they're designed to achieve. And then you start to draw on this sort of just this free floating theoretical apparatus, whether it's what you get from from whatever it is now, 8chan, 4chan, or, or what you get from Pierre Bourdieu, as, as Latour gives the example of. It's structurally, there's a kind of similarity between critical theory and conspiracy theory, but we like to say, you know, like Marxism, right? Like that's that's on a scientific basis. It's demonstrable, and it's not pointing out some cabal of people because we know that even under capitalism, the big powers have very different and divergent interests. But you know, it's easy to forget that, especially dealing with individual areas of sectors of the economy, right? Like whatever Amazon or whatever Tesla has domination over, it's it then does seem like there is a kind of conspiracy at work. I don't know what you say. I mean, conspiracies are real, but. Doesn't that kind of thinking in theory kind of start with what the, who was it that identified the hermeneutics of suspicion, right? It's like that kind of transition in theory and philosophy with the advent of like Freud, Marx, and Nietzsche. And and the whole idea was that like the three of them kind of signified a shift in philosophy where they where they started to say that like oh you think you you think like morality is something benign in the case of Nietzsche but actually it's like this nonsense that you don't understand hidden there's like a hidden understanding same with like Marx with like capitalism and same with like you know your own conscious like desires in Freud that all these things like underneath um, what you think is like the common sense understanding of how you experience those things there's actually like hidden forces that are actually influencing those things, which I think influences and starts to structurally create the conditions for what seems to kind of map onto this conspiratorial thinking in theory. I have not done this yet, but if my next video does poorly, I'm going to join every other leftist YouTuber in blaming capital interest for conditioning the algorithm to avoid leftist videos. (laughs) There's a conspiracy. I want to say though, I, I think that this gesture does have deeper roots, even though than the or, even than the origins of modern critical theory, right? With somebody like Cantor, Marx, or wherever you want to pinpoint it, right? Uh, because one of the things that's emblematic about classical philosophy, and that's still emblematic about many streams of conservative philosophy, is also a, a search for deep structures or transcendent structures. Uh, but the implication usually is that they're good or benevolent, right? Uh, and that they'll affirm the legitimacy of the present and the past, right? Uh, whereas what was really innovative about left-wing critical theory was to invert this expectation and say that once you understand deep structures, uh, not only are they not transcendent, but they're material, uh, and they're also often very often very malicious, 
right? Uh, they impose discipline on people or they exploit people or they convince people to accept their own exploitation, etc. Uh, and I do get what Eric is saying, uh, which is sometimes this search for deep structure, whether on the part of a conservative who wants a transcendent affirmation of the present uh, or a critical theorist who wants to deconstruct the present to reveal its contingency, can sometimes be problematic and represent a kind of pathological drive for meaning uh, that where there just isn't any meaning to be found, right? And I think that one of the reasons sometimes why things like woke culture can be frustrating uh, is people can always be searching for the presence of these kinds of deep structures in the actions of individual people uh, so they can diagnose them as bad or signifying uh, some kind of deep system of oppression uh, when sometimes people just want to be treated like they are at the surface, right? Uh, they want what they say to be accepted at that level without people trying to pathologize it and more deeply than that. Well, Matt, you sound like you're pretty confident in being able to tell the difference between critical theory and conspiracy theory. So I have prepared a game for you to test your skills, the three of you. It's called CT or CT. <laughs> which means that I spent the day on uh, Reddit r slash conspiracy, found a bunch of comments and then put them next to some of the quotes of our favorite uh, critical theorists to see if you can identify the difference between CT and CT, conspiracy theory and critical theory. That's exciting. Um, I should add as a caveat, I couldn't do direct citations because it would give it away. So I sort of dumbed down the, the language the of the critical theorists mm. and sort of elevated the language of the r slash conspiracy subredditors to yeah, I mean, kind of convolute about, like imminent ontologies yeah. and stuff like that if, it might be a bit of a if i hear anything about the freemasons or the knights templar i'm gonna know it's obviously aristotle's work oh 100 <laughs> yeah all right so there's a there's like five or six of these number one ct or ct a vaccine ID is similar to when the Nazis enforced identification using the Star of David, though not the same intensity. The government will want an ID for all other domains of life, perhaps an ID for your religion or for your political alignment. This is a slippery slope, as is ceding any individual liberty to governments, the mandated curtailment of which must be resisted at every turn. I'm saying that's either we, uh, Alex guess Jones one by one? or Let's see Georgia Ogemben. I, I mean, I can't imagine a critical theorist of any kind of caliber, like voluntarily making a slippery slope fallacy, which they seem to have based their argument on it. So I'm going to say it's conspiracy. I'm going to say it's conspiracy theory, too. <laughs> Although it's funny that you say that, Eric, because literally today when I was reading over a little like some stuff in preparation for this, <clears throat> I was thinking about how sometimes critical theorists with their like kind of like flower language, it's... I was actually literally thinking about how it sometimes seems like they are making slippery slope fallacies, but without, but not in so many words, they kind of like disguise it. At least that was an accusation I was going to bring up at some point that like, uh, sometimes there's like an implied slippery slope argument in critical theory, but it's just harder to see because of the language that they use. So is the real conspiracy then that we need to find the argumentative fallacy that they're trying I'm going to proudly use the ad hominem attack to disprove your argument. That is a well-known logical maneuver. I'm going to use it now. You're a bad person, so whatever <laughs> you say is wrong. There we go. So what's the truth, Bills? That one, well, you're right. We had two two votes. Matt abstained, but it was conspiracy. Oh, nice. Who who said that? That was a, a Redditor. 
No, okay, nice. They were obviously an English second language person, so I had to uh, dress it up a bit. You fixed it. I did. I mean, you don't say slippery slope like now. My next argument will be based on the no true Scotsman theory. (laughs) Okay, okay, buddy. Okay, number two. The purpose that governments pursue enforced vaccination programs is the unconditional control over any movement of citizens completely analogous to the internal passport that the Soviet regime had uh, in order to control the movement from one city to another. In this I'm going to say critical theory. In this case, however, control is even more absolute because it concerns any movement of the citizen who will have to exhibit vaccinations before every move, even to go to the cinema, attend a concert, or sit in a restaurant. Ooh, that's critical theory, maybe. Sounds critical. Argument by analogy, historical analogy. That sounds critical to me. Also, like, also kind of like the, the sort of like hyperbolic move to be like, you know, but it's even worse than that because it's actually yeah. like every Qualifying moment that the this analogy. is going to be happening. It's like, it's like being like, it, it'll be bad because, but, but not only that, there's more. It's actually worse than that because it's at every moment. And I feel like that's a very critical theory move and then again any comparison with what is happening in the west and russia does kind of scream sort of like not very critical to me it does it does it does scream but that's so, why i think pills is trying to fuck with us here he's trying to like so i would i would say it's uh if i would i would be 100 percent confident it's critical theory if i were to uh, investigate that russia reference yeah 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 it's true the <laughs> russia reference does give me some doubt that maybe it's not actually conspiracy theory all right, we need votes. I'll go with critical. I'm going critical theory, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to say conspiracy. It is indeed critical. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Hey, we, <laughs> I we thought s- I fucked up by keeping the word cinema in there so that you know. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah, that, yeah that's a that's good. True. I should have that said movie cinema. theater. That would have thrown Movies. you off. Sure. <laughs> no, that's our... That's, the talkies. That's our boy, Agamben. Oh, wow, our favorite. Wow. That's it. I also thought it was just a little too well-written to be somebody on rhetoric exactly for that reason i'm like yeah oh there's flowery language reference to like the soviets rather than like the commies or something like that yeah that's not someone who's making contractions to fit it into 240 characters that's yeah. been thought about all right number three there is no such thing as a political science if there is funding there is politics if there is politics there is deceit the science implies that if it comes from an establishment and claims to be scientific, then questioning it is blasphemy. Unless, of course, the science, in quotations, comes from an establishment outside the North Atlantic Trade Organization block, then it's conspiracy theory. Oh, they're actually using the word in there. I'm going to say conspiracy theory just because the language is all relatively unspecific and it seems to be fixated on a specific set of antagonists rather than structures. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to go. Honestly, yeah, that sounds point. like it could be as translated from something a French theorist might have written, like Foucault. Mm, yeah, something like that. The the whole the whole uh, anti-scienceness of the of the kind of pre-90s critical theory seemed uh, seemed kind of on display there. Uh, I'll I'll go with critical again. I'm going to go with I'm going to agree with Matt. I'm going to say conspiracy. The majority is right once more. I thought these might be a little bit harder, but no, that is from uh, a Reddit post. That was tough. My initial inclination was, hard, was to yeah. go critical, um, but Matt made a good a good argument. By the way, guys, I got to take a second here because the cat, if you can see him, is here, and that means that he it's time for him to be fed. 
All right, we'll do a, a quick two more. This one's short. Our enemy today. Yeah, I like this. This is fun. Our enemy today is still fascism, but it's the fascism in our heads and everyday life that causes us to love power and hope to be dominated and exploited. Oh my God, that's clearly critical theory. That sounds yeah. familiar. It's got to be critical, critical theory. theory. Well, that, that was that sounds familiar. easy. Yeah, it's Foucault from the beginning of uh, yeah. the intro to Anti Oedipus, the preface. That's a classic oh, thing in critical theory too, to talk about the ways in which like powers are making us want to be ruled. I thought it might be confusing because people would call like the CDC a fascist organization, but I guess they maybe they yeah. don't use those terms. The fascism a, in our heads. It's quite sophisticated, also. Yeah, it's this idea that we're not just dominated, but come to crave our own subjection, right? Right. That's a. That's You'd have a to be a pretty savvy Reddit poster to start thinking at those multiple levels. I mean, like I said before, that is like the central question of anti Oedipus: is how do we come to desire our own repression? All right, and here's the last one. Required vaccinations are discrimination based on personal beliefs and not scientific certainty. In the scientific field, the debate is still ongoing on the safety and efficacy of vaccines, which, according to the opinion of doctors and scientists, who there is no reason to ignore, were produced quickly and without adequate testing. I'm going to go with the conspiracy, conspiracy theory. That sounds familiar, too, but yeah, I'll go with conspiracy on that one. Hey, I finally stumped you guys. What? Guess <laughs> really? who that yeah. is. It's our boy, who? Giorgio Agamben. Agamben? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. That, one, well, guess... that one could have come straight out of CPAC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow, we... that is actually funny. That, it, that's, I mean, that shows you what, how much he's gone off the deep end. I guess the verdict is out on that one, whether it's critical or conspiracy, which is sort of the point of the whole episode. <laughs> Is Agamben just a leftist criti- conspiracy theorist? <laughs> Which is why we ended on it. So he's uh, called- has he been a leftist, Agamben? Oh yeah, yeah, well, probably. Yeah, yeah like he's kind of like he follows some Marxist tradition. Yeah. So uh, he's calling in to question the safety, efficacy, and this was only last week, by the way. So I don't want to I don't want to just dismiss him out of hand because that's only one line, of course. So let's put it into context. But he's made a few posts lately uh, this week justifying what he said last year and we discussed last year. So time's a flat circle. Let's get into it. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to have to get some of the rhetoric out of this. I mean, the rhetoric out of the way first. Why don't I just read the most... uh, I don't know what to call it. I'll just let you guys react to it. This is from... Like blog post or something? It's a Gombin's blog post from uh, July 16th. Despite this, those who stick to their free and well-founded conviction and refuse to get vaccinated will be excluded from social life. That the vaccine is thus transformed into a sort of political religious symbol aimed at creating discrimination among citizens is evident in the irresponsible declaration of a politician who referring to those who do not get vaccinated, said, without realizing that he was using fascist jargon, we will purge them with the green pass. The green card constitutes those who do not have in it bearers of a virtual yellow star. Oh, my God. And sorry, I stumbled over my words for a second because this was taken from Google Translate because I do not read Italian. Um, The following line, after saying the green card constitutes those who do not have it, bearers of a virtual yellow star is 
This is a fact whose political gravity cannot be overstated. <laughs> I mean, if somebody really did act like that was a quote, right? He said that they will be purged if they don't have a green card. Like if an Italian politician actually said that, then that's, I mean. To be fair, he's been making exactly these kinds of claims since 1997, I think is when Homo Soccer came out, right? Uh, where he said that the concentration camp is the new nomos of the earth, right? But the thing is, because it's in an academic text and it's back up with a lot of references to Foucault, Arendt, et cetera, your eyes just kind of glaze over when you see that. And you're like, oh, all right, you know, it's a little bit of drama to end it, but... Situated in this context, it seems a lot more silly. He's doing a more radical than Foucault, because Foucault says all society is a prison and it's based on the prison. He goes a step further and said, actually, all of society is a concentration camp and we all live in a concentration camp. So, well, I mean, so, did, so did, did some Italian politician actually say that like those who aren't vaccinated will be purged? Is he quoting okay, someone well, there? He, I'm, I'm not sure. It is in quotations. But I would assume that he meant we're going to purge them from the reopening process because they won't be allowed to participate. Um, apparently, in Italy, you're going to need some sort of pass to say that you've been at least single vaccinated before you can have dine-in, eating, uh, go to concerts, and go to movie theaters and things like that. So it's not we're going to get them all killed. It's exactly the opposite is we're going to make them stay at home, which a gomben compares to uh, a gas chamber staying in your own house. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... Well, hey, first they told the Jews to stay home. <laughs> Slippery slope. I'm looking at Italian Twitter right now, and there is some things about... I, I, I put that line in, and some, some guy named Alberto Buso picked up on it. I don't know. It seems like it was an actual quote. Maybe that was like floated around in Italian politics or thrown up on Twitter and taken down. But it seems like something something happened. I don't know if it was this Alberto Buso guy, but it seems like it is a real quote. So someone used the word purge probably in a hyperbolic manner, and then he's just like picking up on it and like pergeremo in in Italian. Conil Greenpass. The pergeremo is going to happen to who gets into a movie theater. We're not. We're not gassing people that don't get the green pass. Just to be clear. No, I imagine yeah. what's going to happen is now Gambin is going to have to suffer from Italian takeout, which, you know, if you think about how seriously Italians take their cuisine and the necessity of like fresh cuisine at every opportunity is basically tantamount to death. You know what I mean? I also, it would be interesting to know because I don't actually know <clears throat> what the policy framework is in Italy. So it would be interesting to know whether, um, it's whether they're just like making the green pass and then it's like up to businesses whether they want to require them or whether like the government is mandating that like you can't go because like, I mean, I don't know, maybe the effect would be the same anyway, but I guess it just seems weird like that. I mean, at least from the perspective of like having centralized control, that seems pretty different. It's just like having the pass and then it's like if you're a restaurant, you can like decide to require the pass or not. And like that, that seems a lot further from. <laughs> from like control uh than than like saying that you can't go to these private businesses without uh, a pass if that makes sense well let me read one more uh quotation this one i think was deleted since the time that i it might be up or i might have had problems with my browser but this is from july 19th it's a different post where he justified the previous post and he says this in this case, control is even more absolute because it concerns any movement of the citizen who will have to exhibit the green pass for every move, even to go to the cinema, attend a concert, or sit in a restaurant. 
the non-registered citizen will be paradoxically freer than the one who is equipped with it. And the mass of registered citizens should be protesting and rebelling, who from now on will be registered, monitored, and controlled to an unprecedented extent, even in regimes more totalitarian. So it's the people with the pass that he's uh, proclaiming concern for also. So the that, fact that's probably a smart rhetorical move. Because they have to now enter their name into some sort of uh, database and belong there forever. I also, what's remarkable about that is also how sharply it deviates uh, from the kind of position that he took in State of Exception uh, and the earlier work without really acknowledging the shift that's occurring. Because uh, there the problem was the undetermineacy uh, of legal norms that surrounded basically undesirables in the community, right? Uh, and how that allowed you to more or less do whatever you wanted to them if you were a state actor. Now he seems to be shifting to a different perspective and saying that people who exist outside of legal spaces are actually freer in many senses than those who are kind of incorporated into the apparatus. He didn't quite defend, but at least upheld is better in the earlier books. So frankly, I just think that he's really not even being consistent with himself. Uh, I was also thinking it would be useful to also just contrast the position he's taking now with regard to vaccine passports and the, 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 the position he took at the beginning of the pandemic, which was the subject of, of pill pod number three. So I don't know. Could which we refresh the memory of the listener? Oh, wasn't that like, this was anti-lockdown when the, when, just when the lockdowns were starting, yeah, when the was... lockdowns were starting and he was like, he talked about how we're being like reduced to bare life because we have to stay inside. Good. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, First, we were at bare life. Now we are at control society in one year. Um, and this would probably be a good time to bring up what terms specifically Agamben is known for in CT circles. Uh, he wrote a couple books at the end of the 90s, early 2000s, which seemed to be really spot on in terms of what happened after uh, 9-11, namely under the Patriot Act. But we'll get there. Uh, the two terms, at least the ones that I know for, are uh, homo sacer, which literally translated means sacred man, but not in the Christian sense of the word a holy person, but sacred as in uh, set apart. And set apart here means you're excluded from civil society, from civil law. There's no punishment for killing you. Um, and the second term, which he is known for, is the state of exception which is what the Patriot Act is, a, is an example of. So I think these are both from the 1998 book, which was called Homo Sacker and something else. Can't remember the subtitle. Anyway, Matt, uh, can you give us the deets on Sorry. Homo Sacker first? So sure. Uh, I mean, ba basically, the book actually uh, does have merits, I should say. Uh, we can discuss them if people want, but it opens up with this distinction he makes between uh, the Greek term zo, right? Uh, which refers to bare life and bios, uh, which is life that has a certain kind of meaning or significance to it. Uh, in particular, he says that Aristotle and the Greeks understood bios to be life that's meaningful to the community. And so you're ascribed certain kind of benefits, uh, including citizenship benefits, if you're considered to belong to the bios, right? Whereas Zo, um, that's just mere existence and you can do whatever it is that you want to those kinds of people, right? Uh, and the argument that he makes is that 
uh, it's kind of vague, quite frankly. At some point in modernity, uh, with the emergence of the nation state, uh, more and more people were kind of pushed out of the category of belonging to the bios, uh, or that kind of life which has significance for the political community, and were shunted in uh, to the category of zo, uh, which is bare life that you can treat however it is that you want. Uh, and the image that he brings, and he, there's a few of them, uh, is this homeless sacker or the individual who is sacrificed for the sake of the community. He also brings up uh, the notion of the Muslim man. So the Muslim man was basically uh, an individual in a concentration camp, a Nazi concentration camp, right, uh, who was so stripped of their personality that all that was left was their kind of biological functioning, right? Uh, they had no will, they had no interest, uh, and the state could do whatever it is that they wanted to them because they had no capacity to even object to that any longer, right? Right. Uh, and the argument he makes is that in our contemporary biopolitical era, more and more people are getting shunted into these kinds of categories uh, where the law doesn't choose to recognize them, grant them any kind of rights or any kind of uh, capacity to be citizens. Uh, but it doesn't disregard them because it also sees them as a threat and to a certain extent. Uh, and so it tries to manage them through the application of basically violent forms of power, right? Uh, which is why he says that the concentration camp has now become the nomos of the earth, right? Uh, with... Refugees, for example, being shunted into you know these giant gated communities where the state will do whatever it wanted uh, it wants to them uh, without any kind of legal oversight. Uh, or Gitmo is the example that he uses quite prominently uh, in the State of Exception book. Right, the Americans will bring prisoners from their various wars on terror there, where so they can do whatever it is they want to them. Uh, none of this, by the way, I think accords very much with what's happening in reality, and we can talk about that. I actually think the Deleuze piece. Uh, is a lot more sophisticated when it talks about actually how it is that, if anything, uh, we're now more regulated by different kinds of legalities than ever before. Um, but you know, one more one more interesting point is that Homo sacer is actually a uh, something from pre-Christian Roman law. Uh, a person, I guess, person declared Homo sacer is allowed to be killed by anybody, but you're not allowed to. Uh, sacrifice them in a uh, a religious ritual or some some something like that so i guess we we end up getting our word sacred sacred from sacker but i guess I, in this context it means they're kind of desacralized you know they're up there they are uh legitimate purge victims if, yeah if, yeah so, so it's a legal man, right? it's a legal term that denotes absolute stripping of all life, including the ability to live, like, like you, the you right won't, to life, you won't be punished for killing them. So I assume your own slaves, like you could, you could kill them without with impunity. Well, actually, interestingly enough, that's one of the points that he makes, which is that in Roman society, some slaves did have rights to be protected from their masters, right? Uh, so the homo sacer was, in some senses, a person who was subordinated even to the slave, uh, because. I couldn't just go over to your house if I was a patrician and kill your slaves, for example, because you're the owner, they're their owner, right? And they have certain rights if you want through you, right? Uh, homo soccer has no rights because no one even wants to bother oppressing them per se. Um, they're just a threat to the community existing outside of it uh, or sometimes as a part of it, but not welcome there. So in this context, the implication of what he's saying now is something like, if you're not immunized, you become homo sacker because uh, you have to stay home, which is overstating the point. I, I know. Let's try to take it a little bit seriously if we can. Uh, but I did want to just quickly bring up the second term that is associated with a gamin, which is a state of exception, which means that in any exceptional circumstance, i.e. a COVID lockdown, 
you can trust that the government is going to take full advantage and use every opportunity to impinge on your individual liberties using that state of exception as an excuse. So the idea is that uh, something that is a state of exception, we could think of uh, 9-11 and the Patriot Act, right? They say, well, we're doing this for your own protection, but they use it to snap up any types of surveillance, control, management over your life that they can uh, whenever such a state arises. And this was his argument one year ago also. Yeah, and I just want to add, he did not come up with this himself. Uh, a far more smart and interesting guy called Carl Schmidt came up with it. Uh, by the way, Schmidt was an evil man, right? Nazi, anti-Semite, all that kind of stuff. But his books are nonetheless fascinating, right? Uh, but what he kind of talks about is how there's a routine juridical order that exists and that kind of allocates rights and privileges to citizens. Um, but the person who is really the boss, the sovereign, if you want, is the one who gets to decide when that legal order becomes suspended. Uh, and it's quite an interesting claim, right? Because you're essentially the one who has allowed almost this godlike power to say the normal rules don't apply. I'm going to replace them with a different set of rules uh, that accord to my will and my existential conception of what should be, right? And Agamben's argument, uh, innovating on this a little bit, is to say that the fundamental power of the sovereign and the sovereign state uh, isn't necessarily decide whether to suspend the juridical order or not. It's to get to decide who is included in the body politic and who is not, who gets to be bios and who gets to be zo, right? Uh, and his argument is that increasingly states are deciding that most people, even those who would have traditionally thought get to be included in the community, don't get to be bios. They are zo, right? Uh, they have no legal status whatsoever. We can do whatever it is that we wish to them. And I'm way outside of my area of expertise here, but can you... Uh... Confirm or deny, Matt, but I think uh, Hitler went to Schmidt to make it so that he could justify legally the Fuhrer laws so that nothing the Fuhrer could do could be illegal because he embodies the will of the people. Is that right? Yeah, it's very interesting, right? So Schmidt has a lot of complicated thoughts on this. I'll just summarize them really quickly, right? Um, originally, Schmidt was actually kind of a conservative nationalist with a few Christian inclinations, and he supported the nationalist uh, German party. Uh, but one of the things that he argued was, look, like the Nazis are gaining power. The only way you're going to be able to prevent them from seizing power or the Bolsheviks seizing power, which is going to be even worse, uh, is by establishing a conservative dictatorship. Uh, and what makes Schmidt interesting is he kind of has this Nietzschean idea, which is that the problem with the ruling class in Germany at the time is that it's too weak to defend itself. Uh, it doesn't have the balls to just go out there, suspend the juridical order, and crush and liquidate the Soviets, and for that matter, also the Social Democrats. So later on, when it becomes clear that Hitler is willing to do that, and then so, and more so, um, he kind of tacks on to Hitler and says, well, Hitler is this person who kind of embodies the logic of what I'm talking about uh, because he's willing to form a ruling caste that will speak for the people by determining what their identity is going to be. Uh, and if he's able to create such a strong affinity between his will and the will of the people, in some senses, Schmitz would say this would be more democratic than what you find in a representative system. Uh, it would be a total system, right, where the Fuhrer wills one thing and the people's will lines with him, absolutely, uh, and it's directed in this way. Uh, and then he said this would be very much what Rousseau even wanted, with this idea of a general will, because there's an affinity between what the Fuhrer wants and what the people wants. Whereas representative democracy with its party system, 
there's nothing like this, right? You know, you have your party in power. Sometimes they get to implement one policy or another. Then another party comes to power. They get to implement their policy or another. Uh, but there's no kind of total organization of the people directed in one way. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, um, Agamben also formulated it in terms of something called a permanent state of exception, where you have the the idea of these, um, like, you know, super supranational organizations that can, you know, declare health emergencies or other sorts of things like that, like the WHO. And there's a lot of talk of this actually during the swine flu, if anyone was remembers that. Uh, in oh, the Canadian press, yeah. it was written there. there this was written in the in in the Canadian press back then. It said there have been allegations that the WHO was in league with the pharmaceutical industry, declaring H1N1 pandemic to generate windfall products for companies making vaccine and antiviral drugs. So uh, a lot this this talk is not new. This sort of thing he's running through with this current pandemic has been rehearsed before both in his theory and you know this has been thought about both by people and by everyone involved who governments you know whatever the the national disease organizations in various countries and stuff this is all you know this is all old hat kind of pandemic stuff it's not brand new to covid covid's just the most exceptional exception of all of them I just want to shift to the latter half of the discussion, which is pretty much just even rhetoric aside, we don't want to be making Holocaust comparisons to justify our theoretical positions and everything. But the last question that will occupy the rest of the episode is just, is Agamben right? Is there something to be concerned about here? Um, and we can bring up the Deleuze text that we read if uh, that's of interest as well. Anyway, Victor, sorry. I mean, it, look, if you look back at a history of pandemics. There's actually someone in my department at the University of Toronto who's a theorist and wrote about like before COVID happened, she was writing about um, pandemics, like historical examples of pandemics, like like the plague, right? Plague politics. So she just, I remember her talking about how like, you know, there was actually in some ways like much stronger, uh, like self-isolation and like it would be, be more at the town level, but like, I mean, I'm, I guess the point is like, this isn't like new, right? Like trying to sort the people who are like a threat to the community and who aren't like, that's, you know, it's just, I guess the way that it's being mechanized and standardized, I suppose, is the thing that Agamben finds disturbing. Yeah. I, I should also say it's worth noting who he's trying to respond to with his work. Uh, the primary pol political foil is Foucault, right? Foucault famously in the first volume of history of sexuality said, we need to stop talking about state sovereignty. Really, we shouldn't even be interested in the state at all. Uh, it's time to cut off the head of the king and talk about discursive power, uh, biopower, all that kind of stuff, right? And I think Agamben did a good thing in the 1990s and through the 2000s of emphasizing that, no, the state is not going away. It still plays a major role uh, in creating systems of power and domination. Uh, and it also gets to decide in no small part who gets to be included uh, in certain structures of power as a citizen and who does not, right? Uh, I think he just goes way too far in kind of theorizing this, uh, I should say mistheorizing this uh, by appealing to Schmidt, right? Because uh, his kind of argument is that what Sch Schmidt offers him uh, is an account of how it is that there's all these people who aren't governed by the law, have no rights, have no kinds of legal apparatuses surrounding them at all, uh, which is precisely why the state can do whatever it wants to them, right? It's um, so an idea it picks up on Hannah Arendt. I think that what I like the Deleuze piece for uh, is Deleuze points out that actually, if anything, uh, 
the state is more militant than ever in creating new kinds of legal and regulatory categories to control people. Uh, and that's just been complemented by international institutions that are backed up by state power, uh, non-legal um, institutions like large corporations who interact in many cases with states, right? Uh, so I think this idea that there are such things as legal black holes, as you sometimes calls it, where bailiff exists and where the state enacts its violence is just really a fantasy that only exists in his mind. And it's also not what Schmidt was getting at either uh, when he was talking about this idea of a state of exception, right? So Agamben does some good things, and I want to give him credit for that because I think Foucault kind of overstated his thesis with that. But a lot of the stuff is just kind of bunk to my mind. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I You know, I think... Um... I mean, on the question of whether he's right or wrong, I think that I, I do think that he's he's wrong. And I think, you know, thinking back to our earlier episode where we talked about Agamben, I think one of the comments I made sort of as, as a I thought, I thought Agamben was a good example of somebody who has like a theoretical framework and they just like push it onto the reality that they find themselves in yeah, to try I to like justify right. yeah. their framework. And I feel like that I, well, the problem with that is that it ends up like preventing you from analyzing like the nuance of the situation and like the specificity and particularity of like what's actually happening. And instead he's like, Oh, I was right about my state of exception and like homosacker. And it's like, look at how it all fits into my framework. And it's just like, that's when I think like a critical theory, like gets a little out of control and in the weeds when it's just like, it's prioritizing like the the cogency and applicability of the theory over just like being like well what what are the reasons for um thinking through the specificity of the reality uh and the context in a way that you know has its own specific considerations that maybe don't fit into like his kind of like nefarious narrative of control and and domination by by state actors that he wants to tell yeah i think that's 100 percent true i mean like I, I met a lawyer who actually worked on behalf of Gitmo prisoners. And one of the things that he told me was this account of Gitmo as a state of exception or space of exception, uh, where there's kind of really no laws surrounding what you can do to these people, which is why they want to put them there, is just wrong, right? Uh, if anything, he points out there's unbelievable amounts of regulation and laws and quasi-legal entities that govern what you can do to these people. U.S. law, Cuban law, international law, um, various kinds of international law, right? Uh, and if anything, these overlapping systems of control, whether legal or otherwise, are what's part of the problem in trying to obtain justice for these kinds of individuals, right? Because you have to go through so many loopholes uh, in order to even try to advocate on their behalf. And I think that's exactly the same thing that you're seeing here, right? Which is that, if anything, what he seems to be complaining about is the state is now creating more categories through which it's going to rank, organize, and control people. Uh, this overlaps with many non-state forms of organization that are associated with COVID and vaccines, right? Uh, so it's not this exceptional space, right? It's much more in line with what Liz is talking about. Right? But can we, can we, like, we, we got to pull back for a second, look at the sort of general theory Agamben's coming in with and maybe compare it with also Deleuze's postscript on societies of control, right? That where the, the locus... The locus of power is becoming the corporation rather than the state. And even in this case, we can say that these green passes are not the state, right? They are multiple states coordinating through the efforts of suprastate organizations, right? So there's no the state here imposing this. There's a collection of different actors that are trying to have this put into place because it's going to facilitate what business and travel and, and all sorts of things. But the idea is that, you know, 
I guess from the societies of control perspective, the idea is that our classical institutions, which we considered interiors, like the prison, right, is an interior. But in the societies of control, those interiors spill out into the general, you know, there's no more distinction. They spill out across the world. And these control mechanisms that were, you know, and control understood very broadly, but these control mechanisms that used to be confined to the school, the factory, the prison, and all of these other sorts of what we used to think of as state apparatuses are becoming decentralized and detached from national organizations they're not they're becoming denationalized in a way and becoming global you know and so the idea that the state is doing this is is not correct it is the idea that it's a, a kind of a kind of cooperative thing happening right so you have to I, kind I of approach it say, from I that think it's important to say it's not just the state that's doing that because I think again, when we push back rightly and say, or perhaps state even primarily the state, right? Who do you yeah. think is pushing these things? The people who have the financial and economic interests, which are partly the state, but they're partly other actors too, other big powerful actors that have an interest in, you know, resuming air travel, resuming tourism, resuming all of those sorts of things that we've had to either put massive restrictions on or stopped entirely. I think that's exactly right and that he's he seems almost passe in saying that this is an act of the state when everything that he's saying would apply far more to regular passports than to covid passports so in that sense <laughs> like this is not this is not new stuff it's just like something new for him to complain about but if you think about what politicians actually want do you think they want control or do they just want re-election what's their re-election going to be based on it's going to be on Managing the death rate, to say yeah. in a, in a yeah, neck keeping the numbers in down. a necropolitical sense, like they're trying to have as many people as few people die as possible, and then to be as open for business as soon as possible. We want to say our country's open open for business. We stopped COVID. So in that, like, if that's their motivation, which is not that conspiratorial to suggest at all, then they want their country opened. So having a having a passport for vaccines services that end by saying we're going to if you don't want to get the vaccine fine but then you're not going to be able to yeah. go spend your money but then everybody else can spend their money. And then yeah. Like I think what Deleuze gets so much better than Agamben is like Eric said, this is going to be privatized. Like I'd be surprised in 10, 15 years, if we can even buy our own cars. It's just going to be, you rent the car from the company and you can't even own anything anymore. Like, it already... And it drives itself. It, yeah. And it drives yeah. itself. And it's got a limit of how much CO2 you're allowed to emit during your time uh, using it. And maybe you'll have to buy extra CO2 chips. But in terms of what you can use, what you rent from companies... I mean, we've already seen it in terms of software. Like you have to you have to purchase software licenses. You can't actually own things. I think the direction that we see a society of control going is not in terms of legal systems. It's far more in terms of yeah, here's no, your no here's state, your consumer state centric. Here's your consumer options, and this is not a singular state, like you said. This is multiple overlapping states that control your access to this, control your access to that. And that seems to me to be a much more realistic vision of this dystopian future. Not that the state is going to suddenly turn into something that it hasn't looked like for a long time, frankly. 
Well, can, that, I, can it's I just not, quickly say that that the, that although it's worth pointing out that like the, the it's interesting how there's like a conservative overlap though that like so you know we talk about how this is all in the interests of making sure that we can all go back to business as usual so that businesses can flourish and stuff but it's actually precisely a lot of like the right wing pro business who want things to be open and don't want the passport because the passport means that like you have to have that people have to get vaccinated. And especially in a place like the U.S. that only has like 55% vaccination, um, that means that a lot of those people aren't going to be able to go back to business. So there's actually like a tremendous amount of business interests that are against also the the vaccine passport, which is just kind of interesting how there might be like an overlap between like a right wing and left wing critique of like uh, of, of the of the covid management stuff. I think you're exactly right that what he does is it kind of sees these things everywhere. Uh, and regardless of the actual material, social or cultural context or the transitions that have occurred, uh, he still just tends to read them in there, right? I do think that like, you could make a strong case that this argument about a state of exception that creates a homo soccer uh, does apply in what really is best case study, which is Nazi Germany, right? Because that's exactly what they did uh, to the Jews and other desi undesirables in the Nazi state, right? Uh, I think it's also the case that in that kind of context, an analysis of state power and totalitarian state power was the primary task that critical theory should set for itself, right? But for all the reasons that Eric mentioned and that Pills mentioned, I just think it's extremely outdated now uh, to assume that we need to put this kind of weight on the state uh, and the legal system uh, to try to account for why it is that all these unusual things are happening. I think that the one thing that he gets right is that we can't just decide to ignore the state, which is what some people do I mean, I'd, I'd go so far as to say that the state doesn't even want to control because it's too much work. They're more than happy to. I mean, they're all too. Was, that's true. They're all too busy appealing to their base, right? Like the 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 only reason that for it, like Agamben is anti-vaccine pass, and our conservative government Doug Ford has also said he's anti-vaccine pass, is because Ford is trying to appeal to the big the tin hat constituency who doesn't want to get COVID and they're all libertarians and ridiculous people. And Agamben is doing it for a very different reason. He's also concerned with avoiding having a split society, but for all the sorts of theoretical reasons we mentioned earlier about states of exceptions and homo sackers and things like that. I, I think what Agamben sees is again, a progress towards a more totalitarian society of control rather than, you know, maybe like a Deleuzian decentralized society of control where control is actually administered by the person to themselves, right? We control ourselves in a sense, right? We impose certain restrictions on ourselves in the same sort of sense that, you know, Byung-Chul Han's burnout society is also oh, yeah. a kind of internal policing, right? It, that's that's what Deleuze is going for. And I, I don't know. I'm not saying yeah, Gombin's on that train, but he, he, I think he's going in that direction. So the very fact of, you know, if you're going to split it into a binary, are you for or against vaccine passes? Well, yeah, of course, all the liberals are for a vaccine pass. But he's saying, you know, if you're a little too... You know, maybe if you're a little too enthusiastic about these vaccine passes and saying, fuck the people who don't get them and fuck all these people, isn't that a little purgy? You know, isn't that well, just want, a little well, bit of I a want, purge mentality? So as someone who, as someone maybe who does not. want, who does, want uh, who does think that there's a lot of good arguments for the vaccine pass, I think that you should have, you know, to use the word exception, a lot of exceptions. Like if you have certain like health risks, obviously, like if there's like a good justification for why you're not getting the vaccine, then I think that that should be permissible and you should be given the pass so that you can still participate in society. But otherwise, like you just aren't comfortable with it. Like, I don't know. Fuck you. Well, like, like you can, I, if, I you say wanna, if you want to go to 
Like I'm pro science, but I am anti big pharma. You know, I'm coming off of this hangover of Bernie Sanders campaigning for the last many years on we need to take power away from pharmaceutical companies. They have too much power. And then boom, that whole line of discourse on the left seems to have just been completely and magically suspended. Well, I don't and know now we're all for big pharma well, again. So, wow, so, what a fucking turnaround isn't that was. There, isn't there a slippage sometimes though? I, I find that sometimes when we like the left or critical theorists, we start analyzing these kinds of social and political phenomena. We we talk about like we look at who's benefiting and i think that that's like important it's good to be like who's benefiting right pharmaceutical companies are benefiting private and in private interest is benefiting and like all that's true but i i sometimes feel like well that's true it's also important to be like we also all of us benefit from like ending this 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 pandemic like like so like it's just it, the problem is like when the interests of business and, and 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 pharma overlap with just like our normal interests in like having a society where we don't have to be scared right like ultimately if we weren't taking any measures and everyone was just allowed to do whatever they wanted and go wherever they want like yeah it's true we'd have no like overarching businesses or like private capital interests dominating us and influencing us we would all have this fear about like who is who like like they did in the black plague it's like you don't know who's infected and you're just like scared all the time to interact with people and the whole point of these like measures is to try to like end that state where we're all scared and i guess like i think that there can be a problem when you over when we overemphasize the sort of uh well look at all these like big powerful interests that are benefiting and it's like when that's the emphasis i feel like we we can risk losing sight of just like but also, like this, just sucks for everybody. Like we just need to, we just need to get rid of this. And 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 I'll, and I'll just like briefly end by asking kind of a question that I noticed in the in the Deleuze article, and and it's come up in other places. The word domination comes up, and and I guess, you know, I mean, we may not have time to get into this, but I, I like wonder sometimes when we're talking about like forms of domination, self-imposed domination, like what would it be to be not dominated? Like, like what would exactly a society look like where there's no forms of domination? I mean, maybe no one would claim that that's possible, but I guess I'm just, I kept wondering that. I, I just want to build off your point with the tasteful uh, Dragon Ball Z reference by saying, uh, Gammon reaches Sorry, peak Matt, power it's level. Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> excuse me. Yes, just let me proper. He reaches peak power level in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. I think justifiably, precisely because during the war on terror, it did really seem like a lot of these anxieties about the state warranted a comeback, right? A lot of people were deeply concerned about American empire, the Patriot Act, more people going to jail. Uh, and it actually speaks to a bit of what Victor was talking about earlier on as well, uh, that Agamemnon describes very effectively, right? Which is this atmosphere of fear that leads you to turn to power in order to create systems of domination that keep us safe, Right. Uh, and I imagine if you were to talk to him, he'd say that something very similar is going on right now, which is essentially that we're willing to surrender our freedoms, if not to the state, but to various forms of power in order to get that kind of nice, warm, fuzzy, safe feeling that you're talking about. Right. Uh, my argument would be that I think that is definitely a worry. And I think that you can see instances of that, for instance, in Hungary, uh, where Viktor Orban and Fidesz basically created an authoritarian government exactly on the back of COVID. Right. Uh, but I also do think that there are more benign kinds uh, of institution making uh, and regulatory schemes that are necessary in order for us not necessarily to give power to certain people, but for all of us to get back to our lives as normal. Right. And I don't think Gagebe can sometimes see the distinction between the two. And sometimes it's blurry, uh, but sometimes I just don't think it's really all that blurry at all. Well, I mean, he must have got because he wrote the book in 98. 
he must have totally got high on his own supply after 9 11. Because then we have like two. No. Sits there and is like, this isn't even my final no, form yet. There are going to be five more homo soccer He's books. got like two nonsense wars plus the Patriot Act plus the revelations about the Patriot Act. So certainly probably got uh, high on his own supply yeah, totally. after that right. shit. And I mean, it's absolutely true that people in conditions of high anxiety will turn to forces that are willing to dominate them uh, in order to get a sense of security. I don't think... Anybody would deny that. And that's been a theme in political theory and, for that matter, literary tragedy going back to the ancient Greeks, right? Uh, we just need to be careful to demarcate when that's what's going on uh, and when people are taking relatively benign regulatory measures as a community to protect the most vulnerable members amongst well, them. Well, also, it's also interesting because earlier I was saying, like, we're also trying to protect. So it's true that the government or, like, other powerful interests will use fear to, like, pursue their own interests but also like the flip side of that is like in a, in a pandemic, like we're also trying to take measures so that we don't have to live in fear. Right. Because yeah, if literally exactly. nobody did anything and just said, everything's fine, people would just start dying. And then we would all be like scared because we wouldn't know why. And we would all be like scared to go out. Like if no one investigated it or did anything. So it's like, I have to make a claim. I hope that nobody clips this and no one ever takes us out of context, but in this context, <laughs> this is going to be guaranteed. It will be, I am, very thankful for the conspiratorial right wing because I know <laughs> that if the libs were in charge, they would have fucking chipped us all already. But because those evangelical psychos are scared of the mark of the beast, we're never getting chipped because there's just way too many of them and they're way too crazy. Oh. <laughs> they're not going to get any tattoo. They're going to get no barcode. They're going to get no chips. And they're, they're protecting us from that because we're uh, too much, too, too big a pussies to, Stand up for when the line's been yeah, crossed. The chips would be much easier to trace people back to the already existing database of many people's information, which is undoubtedly the Green Pass is just the front of a database that everyone's going to be on, right? But the fact that the the Green Pass is something that is aimed up to open the economy, right? Get business back open is already like a baseline we've all kind of accepted that that needs to happen okay well maybe we should stand back and ask like does that really need to happen though because the only people getting wealthier and wealthier during this pandemic are people not fucking me definitely jeff betzos all those fuckers in space right now whatever they're doing up there and other look the i mean i i agree with pharmaceutical that, that. companies right so what's the necessity for the most of us to open the economy back up it's there is no necessity for the average person that's not There's true this, at all that's not really? true at all most people most people actually have jobs like in the service industry they're getting fucked by not being able to go to work and like do yeah. i like the fact that actually like like all these private interests like that are powerful are getting stuff like no i don't but like there's actually like a huge number of like regular low income people who are like going to be fucked and it's not sustainable. Like a lot of people who work sure. in restaurants and all kinds of service but industries. We and, can, like, we have those going again without the green pass. We don't need the green pass. The green pass is meant to facilitate travel because different countries have different protocols. If you're fully vaccinated, partially vaccinated or non-vaccinated, they have different protocols and that's what it's for. It's not for well, getting I, people I, back I, to work. I agree that that's true, but it's also true We've been the green pass would also thing. protect people who work in the service industry have to face so like if we're going to reopen global travel with people like if i work in a restaurant and i'm like some low-income person it's like i would rather know that the people who are coming into the restaurant had the green pass so that, that way i would know that they were vaccinated and i wouldn't put me safe and my family in a safer position 
But again, that just seems to say that the corporations that are employing these people actually have a care about them, which I think they've demonstrated to the nth degree that they do not give a fuck about frontline workers whatsoever. Look at our big magnanimous company Loblaws who refused to to do sick pay. And same with our whole province, refused sick pay. They don't give a fuck about the workers. I agree with you, but my only point is no You're talking over each other. That's a motive you're placing behind the green pass that isn't there. It's there is no motivation behind introducing. It doesn't the matter green the pass. motive. The, the, you originally started this conversation by talking about like who's benefiting and and what would be the harm of not doing it. And I was saying, well, there are actually people who benefit who are do, from doing it. Whether or not there's the intention to protect those people, like I agree, probably like that's not their primary concern. But like it's still it's still worth like thinking about how it does. I don't think it people. should be decided by a cost benefit analysis. And in any case, I think it's a lesser of two eagle arguments that no individual has the computational power to decide. So in a sense, we do have to lean back on our principles and our morals a little bit on questions like this. And you know, bombastic rhetoric aside, and all Holocaust comparisons aside, <laughs> I think Gobbin does have a very good point about the motivations behind this sort of thing and the idea that, you know, okay, let's not call it a purge, but everyone who doesn't have a green pass is in a sense excluded from rejoining society. And like, uh, you can't say, okay, but the people who don't have a green pass don't just don't want get to get vaccinated because they're right wing and they are tin hat wearing paranoiacs. But that, that shouldn't be beside, they are still human beings, unfortunately. So we have to think <laughs> about their needs. And in that sense, like we shouldn't have this sort of purge mentality behind the green pass. But unfortunately on social media, the sort of excited vigor that a lot of the leftists and liberals are getting behind this green pass. Again, I say it's a little bit purgy in the way that they disregard human life just because they disagree with the person's fundamental view on things, right? I don't know. One of the good things to come out of this pandemic, and very little good came out of it, right, Uh, was that I did actually see people become more mobilized around provincial uh, and federal politics than they have in a long time on behalf of their federal citizens, like their fellow citizens, right? So I don't think it's all bad. And I think it's a good example of what Victor was talking about. So the Ford government really dragged its heels uh, on implementing something like paid sick days uh, for people in low-income service industry style jobs, right? Probably in part because it was going to be prohibitively expensive either for the province uh, or for the companies if they had to internalize those costs. And... People became outraged enough about this when numbers went high enough that they demanded that he take action on it. And then the federal government put pressure on him and eventually he caved. Right. So I see this as a good example of how it is that you can encourage people to start rethinking fundamental issues of political economy, which will be my Marxist point to end on, I guess. Right. Which is that uh, it's not all bad if we can encourage people to take this as a moment to ask themselves if they want that kind of solidaristic society where we use various forms of state power or other power in order to make these companies work for us rather than us work for them. Right. I mean, I think we could, we, I feel like we actually had more to talk about. So maybe we should do uh, like a part two, because I, I, I feel like there's, there's unresolved uh, questions here. It's just Eric, when, you know, it's like the Alex Jones things. You get his soul gets near that evil and he just goes like, Oh no. No, I can't do it. Not the pharmaceutical companies. No way. No world order. <laughs> we started this episode totally accidentally talking about uh, being charged for DLC. And I think 
that's what it is, right? Downloadable content. That's right. In, that's right. In, in, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought I might have got the word wrong, but uh, I think that's the most uh, crucial difference to recognize here is that Agamben's conspiracy theory, I mean, in a in a proper sense, seems a little bit passe in terms yeah, of yeah. him thinking that like the government is in control. And I think we're seeing more and more evidence that that control is waning and that control is becoming decentralized and will invade our life at a more microscopic level every day. But it's not going to be the government doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And, and I also think that that, you know, I reading the Deleuze piece too made me think that we should just talk more about that concept of control. And I mentioned earlier domination. And I think that that would make for a very good future episode because I think that there's some interesting vagueness to what exactly control and domination mean in the critical theory context. I think there's potentially a lot of concept creep about there, but we don't have time for that now. Control, I need to episode. shout out to myself and my new video. Control <laughs> is a cybernetic term that is meant to be well, a contrast into the new video. A contrast out. with domination because dom domination. Uh, implies that you dominate yourself and your own behavior in public visibly, whereas control becomes more invisible, more uh, yeah. subconscious yeah. even. Control. Kubernetes, the uh, the steersman of the ship and the root word for the word government. I, I wanted to say something in line with like uh, what Sheldon Mullen said, and I guess I'll end with that, right? Which is that I actually think the kind of anti-status rhetoric that Pell's rightly invoked, right, actually can sometimes be problematic when it comes to trying to push for progressive politics, precisely because what you see the political right doing right now a great deal is suggesting that precisely because there's so many other forces of control out there that the state cannot and should not regulate, we shouldn't even bother trying to do that, right, which can lead people to the conclusion that their own democracy will not work for them because there's too much external to it that's kind of hedging it in a certain way. Uh, which isn't to try to defend the state or say that we should necessarily fetishize the state. Uh, but I do think, you know, what we've seen with COVID in its the best moments is people organizing solidaristically to demand that the state put pressure uh, on these systems of control for working people, right? And I'd hope that we'd see more of that in the future. You you think you can just sneak that in as your last point? First of all, I did not invoke anti-state rhetoric, at least not yeah, the fucking... way Agamben does. I said, on record... That the government bureaucracy is a bunch of lazy bastards who are fully willing to give any amount of their duties over to the private sector. Like, hey, Peter Thiel, uh, can you please go find us the terrorists on the internet? Hey, whoever mm -hmm. else, can you build us a robotic prison to lock all these terrorists up that Peter Thiel found? We'll give you a $10 billion yeah. Dollar yeah. DOD contract. And then you want to say, oh, no, we should be rebuilding faith in those institutions. A lot of fucking gold to mine there. No thanks, Obama. We did the hope you change your shit. So fuck that. We're not ending on a lib note. Eric gets the last word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would I would love the state to have more control, but then that would mean that they would have to expand their concerns from their extremely sure. narrow band of concerns to like job numbers, like we were just saying, and you know, the appealing to their base and those sorts of very sorts of pragmatic, near future politic kind of real politic concerns. We need a state that gives a shit about other things than what gets them are the people who work for it reelected which yeah sure i th i think that's a that's a maybe is still lip but ooh, fuck it <laughs> well 
I just want to reiterate, uh, thank you to the right-wing conspiracy theorists. Clip that. Who are certainly not listening to this, but thank you for protecting us against the chip. <laughs> All right. Ow! All right, guys. It's been fun. Let's uh, pick it up again at some point in the future. We'll do part three. Agamben, quarantine Agamben, part three. <laughs> <laughs>